0: This is Comic Shenanigans episode 704, flashback to What If 105, the first appearance of Spider Girl. <laughs> Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 704. It's a, a quick little flashback slash comic talk episode. I just wanted to talk about uh, a specific comic book, so it's not going to be very long. It's going to be a What If 105. I think I've, I've mentioned it in passing on other appearances in other shows and uh, and in some episodes of my own, but I didn't actually have a focused episode. And Part of the reason why is that at some point I've been promising Curtis Finley of the Epic Marvel Podcast that maybe at some point I'll do a Spider-Girl podcast or uh, that will show up in his feed. Um, so I didn't want to kind of use up that material and then have to, you know, kind of double talk about it again at some other point. But um, I, I sometimes, you know, have these kind of random comic talk episodes where I pull something off my shelf and I'm thinking about it. And I was recently thinking about, oh, you know, I should talk about you know, that issue. It's an issue that means a lot to me uh, just in terms of where I was at the time and what it meant uh, from someone younger buying it. And I was like, no, 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 I'll do something else. And I I did do something else in the last episode. Um, And then a day or two ago, uh, Tom DeFalco Facebook put something on his Facebook just saying that, uh, I guess, recently as part of the 80th anniversary of Marvel, they had the kind of Marvel's Greatest Creators kind of banner on some uh, reprints of old issues. And they were doing the reprint of What If 105, which has also been known as Spider-Girl Zero. Um, which is the first appearance of Spider-Girl ever and uh, so they they put out this new edition and uh, you know I I didn't buy it because I own the original and uh which is the reason why I don't own Spider Girl Zero. Which is always actually kind of stuck out to me It's kind of weird that I don't own it, because um, I just. But I, at the time when I was younger, I was like, "Well, I don't need to own this again. I already own this, and in its original format." Uh, anyway, so this this uh, this you know reprinting came out, and I didn't pick it up. But then Tom DeFalco tweeted about it, and he's like, "Oh, we have you know some limited edition signed copies of this." Uh, At CatskillComics.com Which is uh, where you can buy original artwork from Ron Friends And actually I recently bought a Ron Friends original piece um, From the uh, recent Sensational Spider-Man Self-Improvement One-Shot There was a 10-page story by Tom and Ron And uh, the last page is now uh, probably in my home Um, So I was really interested I'm like, you know what, Uh, it's not the original issue But it's the reprinting of it And it's signed by Ron and Tom and uh, you know, I like both those creators quite a lot. Why not? Why would pick it up? Uh, but I also thought, man, is this the wor- is this the universe telling me that I should talk about this issue? You know, like I, I decided not to talk about it in the prior episode, and then suddenly it just kind of shows up randomly, and that is like the, the most random way you could be reminded of an issue like Tom the Falko is tweeting about it or Facebooking about it. I'm like, well, I, I guess that means I should probably pick that up. Um, last time I talked about Jonathan Hickman in The Secret Warriors. Now I'm going to talk about What If 105. Uh, to go back, um, my first recollection of anything And I'm trying to remember the exact timeline. and I'd have to go through original singles to figure it out. But there was a promotional period. Now, this is actually, I believe, after What If 105 came out. I would have had to have been. But uh, I remember there was this promotional insert. And it had a bunch of different things on it. And it was almost like a... Like the side of a wheel, and it was listing all these things that were coming up in, in upcoming Marvel comics at the time. And one of them was about Spider-Girl and her world, and it mentioned that it was called, I think, Excelsior Comics. And I think I asked Tom about that, and he was like, no, it was always going to be MC2. I'm like, I'm not so sure. The promotional material definitely makes it seem like it was going to be called Excelsior Comics, and then eventually it would be rebranded as MC2. Uh, which I actually think is probably a better name for it, in terms of a sub-imprint. It, is it uh, very effectively kind of gives you an, a snapshot just in the name of what it is. Um, but to go back... Whack um, to what if one hundred and five. This is an issue. This is an issue that I actually bought right on the stands. Um, again, uh, my comic book reading has always been a little weird. That I didn't really read comics when I was a, a kind of a, a younger kid. When most people seem to get into comics, I was kind of getting into comics when other people I knew were getting out. Um, I got in around like grade seven eight type of thing. Um, you know, Clone Saga was just tapering off. In fact, when I first started buying Amazing Spider-Man on the regular, it was the first non-clone Saga issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which is kind of interesting. Um, So, I mean, so I I come to things a little differently than a lot of people do uh, in terms of when I decided to, you know, start reading comics. Uh, What if 105... Uh, looking at when that came out. It was in the latter years of the What If series, which ended with 114. Uh, what If 105 was February 1998. Uh, so I would be 14 years old. Um, at least, the cover date is February sorry, 1998, which means it was probably a couple months earlier, uh, which means I would have just turned 14 in November ni- 1997. Um, so, to, you know, what was going on at the time, so obviously the clone cycle was over. You had Tom DeFalco was now Writing um, Amazing Spider-Man, I believe, which I really enjoyed. Uh, it was just, you know, for me, it was just a, a, it was my kind of real jumping on point. That's why I'm always very a big fan of Defacco. Partially is because, you know, I don't know if I where I would be in terms of my comic book love, you know, love if it wasn't for some of the original comics that he wrote. Um, he was just such a, such a great writer and someone I was such a big fan of. Um, but a big part of that is, again, the period I got in, you know, I got in reading Spider-Man by Tom DeFalco and it was by Steve Scrooge, um, and, uh, also Joe Bennett doing some kind of, uh, villain work here and there. So that, that's kind of what was going on at the time when I was buying originally. And then I see this book, uh, on the shelf and it's what if, and I think I may have had a few issues of what if at this point in time, maybe not a lot. Um, and uh, it was just like, you know, maybe I should give this a shot maybe this looks interesting um, because again, I, I loved the Ben Riley costume, and that's where a big part of this for me originally came from, is that I loved the Ben Riley costume, I always thought it looked so cool um, it was so neat to look at uh, visually, I, obviously I loved the original costume as well, but there's just something about that costume that I thought that was so cool um, I'm just trying to, again, place this the same month A cover date month is What If 105, uh, at least by Tom DeFalco. He was also writing, as I said, Amazing Spider-Man. He had issue uh, 431 came out that same month, um, which was an issue focusing on the Carnage symbiote um, uh, attaching itself to Silver Surfer. I mean not the best story in some ways, but damn it if it's not kind of a cool cover. Uh, You got the Silver Surfer bound with Carnage. Uh, He also had Tom in the same month writing an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man with J.M. DeMatteis. Um, and I think they, they brought a bunch of issues together. or They're credited, at least, as writers and issues together for a couple issues after that point. Um, so I see this issue on the stands. It's, you know, again, it's called What If 105. So it's just another issue of What If, really. Uh, nothing necessarily special about it. But I had this cover. And the cover, you know, just said, who is she? The next generation of spotty excitement starts here. It's very funny to me, actually, that in the trade paperback... Um, It, uh, that recently came out, which is the Spider-Girl, the complete collection. It says it collects what if 105. Um, yet the cover that they show is actually not the original cover. It's a cover for, um, the, the, uh, Spider-Girl number zero, which would come out later. Um, which is kind of funny to me that obviously the the contents are are very particular, um, but they decided to just give it a different cover the, to include the wrong cover here, which I thought was interesting. And to give you also an idea that you know it's only eight months um, between publication or at least the cover date of this before they come out with Spider Girl Zero and One and launch and officially well, officially launch the this new generation of Marvel books known as the MC Two Universe. Um, and so. They go from having a what if shoe published again. I'm going on cover dates, but it's you know, it's a rough approximation. So it comes out in February, uh, in October. So again, what did I say, 10 months? Uh, because it's more like eight months. Uh, eight months later, you have. A next number one, J2, number one, and Spider-Girl, number one. Like, that's not a lot of lead time to kind of create a new imprint of comics. Um, so wh- where did this come from? Why did this happen? So you have this issue. It's on the stands. It's not a super high-selling book at the time. There aren't, I, I don't believe, maybe that many copies of it uh, around. But you have this issue of, uh, you know, of what if. you got a great, great creative team. Uh, it's Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Uh, although, at times, I would be honest, it's not maybe immediately evident that you're even getting Iran Ron Friend's uh, art. Um, only because it's somewhat buried under some uh, finished art by Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, now, I mean, obviously, Bill Sinkovich is a legend uh, in the field, but he does have a bit of a... Um, what's the word, a harsher tone sometimes with his inking, or at least his finishes here, and I would say that's definitely true. Uh, sometimes uh, Sal is the same way on, on Ron Friend's art, where it starts to look more like a Buscema or a Sinkovich page in this instance than a Ron Friend's page. Um, it's just it's a little bit dirt, dirtier, darker uh, tones than you would usually see on Ron Friend's art. Um But, you know, it's a story about, you know, the fact that in the future, in this future, um, you know, Mayday Parker did not disappear. She was born and raised by Peter and MJ. They're now parents. You have Peter uh, has this nice defining kind of silver streak in the middle, uh, almost like a rogue thing, but uh, on a male. And, uh, you know, they have a daughter and she's, you know, athletic and maybe starting to realize that maybe something's amiss. Uh, And it's kind of an interesting idea that you, you don't have her realize or know about her her family's lineage as being superhero uh, you know her dad was a superhero and why her you know she's not just a good athlete but she actually is able to do things that maybe she shouldn't be able to do and it's kind of coming about and it kind of gives the idea that like does it make her a mutant does it not you know because it's a power that she's inheriting from her father so it's in the genes but she's not necessarily a mutant because he's not a mutant it's kind of an interesting idea and you have this whole issue about her Kind of realizing this and also you have the green goblin suddenly returning you have this specter of peter and mj remembering when he went out the last time as spider-man and you know he was injured and you know things haven't been the same since um we get the sense of the bigger world we've got the idea that there's uh the fantastic five now um it's very interesting because you see like kind of an altered version of thing you have what we i don't know if you at the time you know that it's Franklin Richards but you know it's a younger male on the team you got Human Torch got Leisure which kind of doesn't make sense uh given Tom defoco having written Fantastic Four for so long but in terms of where the FF were at this point Leisure was kind of persona non grata uh and you have Herbie the robot which was kind of a, a fun little thing uh you have in a sense that you have Normie Osborne has grown up and it's so funny to see him here because he definitely gets kind of Rehabilitated throughout the the regular Spider-Girl series, but here it's like, you know, he's got these tattoos on him. It's all about, you know, revenge and uh, honor thy father, kill the spider. Like, and he's kind of got, the, like, long... I think it's, yeah, I think his hair is drawn to be very long, even though it's still the typical kind of Osborne pattern. Um, it's so funny because I feel like he never looks at that again in the series. Like, not to this degree, i kind of crazy. Uh, you get a, a glimpse of the Avengers here. Um... Which is pretty cool, and the Avengers look very different, and you have a Juggernaut character. And now, nah, I, I believe I've, this has been pretty widely reported and heard in different places by both Ron and, and uh, Tom, and they've said that you know the the this was always meant to be Juggernaut, and yet it was in someone's mind. I think, I think it was Harris or someone who was like, "Oh, we got to have that kid Juggernaut." And it's like, "What are you talking about, kid Juggernaut?" And they thought it was a different character, so that's where J Two comes from, which is interesting. so fascinating in terms of where characters can really come from in terms of inspirations etc j2 as a character exists because of a misunderstanding that someone in power had on who this character was that was drawn here and then telling tom like you got to use that character and tom be like okay cool we'll go with that and running with it like that's and he gets his own series again that book does not exist uh ron loom does not you know Um, portray or or illustrate that book if it wasn't for that. It's so crazy. Isn't that nuts? Like, it just... It it baffles my mind, but I, I really enjoy that. And again, you get this cool idea of what these Avengers are, and it's interesting because, you know, these are never really the Avengers. Um if you read A-Next, you never really see this team. You see them kind of briefly fight together, but you see other characters as well, but here you have, you know, Joel, who at the time was a relatively recent new character uh, introduced in Thunderbolts. You have the Vision on a screen, which doesn't really go anywhere. You have, again, this Juggernaut or J2 character. You have Jubilee, who somehow migrated over. You have Speedball, and you have uh, a version of Thunderstrike, and knowing Ron and Tom's uh, you know, relationship with the Thunderstrike character and uh, how they created him and they killed him, and, you know, this is supposed to be uh, the original Thunderstrike's son makes complete sense that they would stick him in there. Uh, again, ended up being one of my favorite characters in the MC2 universe, but uh, it was just kind of stuck in. And you know, Ron has said like he kind of built this world, even though it was just going to be a one shot kind of "what if." He was you know trying to flesh out this world and sketching out what these characters looked like and all this stuff. And uh, in this issue, you also have as Peter's kind of going to the Fantastic Four Five, going to the Avengers trying to get maybe some help. Um, you then have you know you have mj telling may all about the fact that the lineage and that he's he was spider-man and seeing these different costumes and something i never even thought about is that the idea that with peter and ben riley really having this familiar relationship and kind of looking at each other as brothers that may has an uncle ben of her own um you know she has an uncle ben who died uh who is a hero and now she can kind of honor the spider legacy and her uncle uh, by putting on this costume and going into battle and trying to protect her dad, who's you know going to confront Norman Osborne. and when you get that you know this first, Big shot of Spider Girl. It's so cool because it's a combination of her of her parents. You know, she's in the costume. She's kind of kraken wise, and even though she's not actually ready to jump into something like this, she's not trained. She doesn't know how to be a superhero. And she says, "You want a spider person, Normie? Face a tiger? Or you just hit the jackpot." What a great combination of running at the mouth like her dad, but using her mom's iconic line. Um, and it's not a, a, a long fight sequence, but it's you know it's cool to kind of see the two characters fight each other. Um definitely, you know, you, you have a, a very injured uh normie and he kind of escapes and no one kind of believes that you know, the Spider-Girl exists, and you have the family all kind of decide to say goodbye to being superheroes and that kind of stuff, and they throw everything away, and they, they burn everything in a trash can in the backyard, but then you have the idea that, you know, May is interested in maybe being a superhero, and she's got the designs for the web shooters and the costumes, and maybe maybe that'll be something. And and it was, you know, but again, it was not meant to be anything. it, it the fact that they even put the, the end question mark, you know, maybe they had an idea, but like, you when know, a talked to ron and tom in the past that like they didn't really expect this to become something like this was just a fun kind of exercise Uh, and it really meant something to me as a kid partially i mean so again i was on the ground floor of this so i bought the original issue and then i see this all this you know a few months later saying like oh there's going to be a series based on this and I was like that's really exciting because again I was what would I say 14 years old by the time the series starts I'm 15 years old this is a book I got to be at the ground floor of now one of my biggest regrets is that I actually left the book after issue 50 I stopped picking it up I was Buying a lot of books, I was just entering into university. Something I had to give, and I've always regretted. I've you know been able to kind of piece together what was going on and read some issues that others had, but um, I don't own anything after issue fifty of Spider Girl, and I feel like at some point I should. Um, but I'm also hoping these complete collections will eventually collect the entire run. Um, but it's always been something that stuck out to me. But you know when I was this was this was a universe I could be at the, the beginning of. I was buying every issue of Spider Girl and then i picked up an issue i think of a next in j2 when i was on like a summer vacation this one must have been I'm trying to remember i guess this was like mid 99 yeah, because it was around issue seven. And I was, I was in the summer. I was in a small town visiting my grandmother. And she was like, oh, they have some comics at this store. Selections, She says. Go to the store. It's like a little bookstore. And they had some comics there. And they had J2 issue, I think, seven or something. And A-Next. And I really liked the A-Next. And it actually prompted me to go back and find the back issues and, and buy the rest of them. And uh, it was only a 12-issue run of both books. Um, and, but I, uh, I never had a lot of J2. Um, but I had all of A Next. I made sure I collected all of it, and uh, I think I even bought. I owned it like, I bought it all digitally. Like I really enjoyed Next. I was showing, uh, reading it to Zach, and Zach really enjoyed it because uh, it still plays. And uh, then when they lo- ended both those books, I was buying. Uh, what was it Fantastic Five? I didn't buy Wild Thing. I kind of had to make a choice and I went, I think, with the better one in my estimation. I really liked that book. And uh, then I was reading The Buzz. Anyways, it was was interesting because obviously my Spider-Girl artist, uh, Ron has obviously worked on it longer than Pat Olf but Pat Olf is a big part of my love of the Spider-Girl series. I've read a lot of these Spider-Girl issues now that have Ron on them as well uh, and I, I think they are just a great duo to have brought this character to life for so many issues. Um... Yeah, and that's that's kind of my history with with What If, you know, like I picked up the next issue and it was okay, but wasn't great, and it didn't have the magic, and then I don't think I picked up another issue. I liked going backwards and kind of picking up random issues. You have that weird period in the second volume of What If where it gets really dark or tries to be extra dark, but doesn't always need to be. Like all What If stories generally end in p- very poorly, but uh, some they're really good and have happy endings. And this one was actually one of the happier ones. Um, doesn't kind of follow the regular pattern of most issues and then you have this ongoing series which i would say is you know just delightful and magic because you bring this new world to life um and what i always liked about it too is that ron sorry not ron uh tom when he put everything forward he didn't make it dystopian it wasn't like oh this is such a negative future it's just everyone grew up um some characters for the better some people for the worse but it was still just the regular, you know, kind of Marvel universe, but just, you know, a little bit in the future and seeing the descendants of some of these people or the next generation. And, uh, as someone who was that age, who was really able to grasp to this stuff and enjoy it. Uh, cause it felt like it was being written for me. You know, I didn't have, I didn't know all these previous characters. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't know the Marvel universe as well as I do now. I, you know, had really started to make inroads into understanding it. Again, I started with X-Men in 95 or 96. Um, you know, kind of with onslaught, that type of stuff. And then, you know, it kind of moved forward, Operation Zero Tolerance, and like slowly starting to expand outwards, just going to Spider-Man and eventually Daredevil and all these other characters and Avengers and Thor and Captain America. But those first years of tentatively kind of trying these things out, Those really really stick out to me as 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 someone who was really getting into the comics at the time. So those are the comics I remember, like uh, Captain America, like one to seven. Uh, I bought those on the newsstand. I don't, not even a comic book store, I don't think. I think maybe a couple of them are direct editions, but the rest I bought bought at a newsstand. Means something to me. Um, I also find that generally speaking, when you own so little, every one that you have matters. More to you because they're more precious and more scarce. When you have thousands of comics, every comic seems to matter less, except for the ones when you didn't have thousands if that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, Like I might remember for some of my first trade paperbacks I ever purchased more than the trade paperback I purchased last week. I had to be like, what what did I buy? What came in an Amazon package? Oh, it was the latest Star Wars trade paperback. Cool. It's not the same. Whereas I had, you know, saved up birthday money and I went and bought, you know, Nightfall part one in the mid nineties. And this was so exciting. I got to read the story and I had to save up for part two. Like that meant more because I didn't own many. that was like the first one. I think I, I still remember, and I sold it at some point, and part of me regrets it, but I also didn't need it anymore, I, I owned uh, um, uh, something else that collected all the issues, and this was the original Clone Saga originally it was uh, presented as Clone Genesis, and I loved that trade and I, I, I read that trade all the time and it was just something that, again I, I kind of regret selling it, because it, it was something I brought with me everywhere and I really enjoyed those issues, and I really came to enjoy the kind of 70's artwork um, it was just and it was just comfort food, but partially because that was like the first thing I read. And I was like, clones, I want to read this. And they realized it was, you know, wasn't current. But at the, at the time, I don't have any, you know, if I'm like in the in the mid-90s, I'm not really thinking about the fact, oh, this is from 1977. I'm just like, oh, this is an old Spider-Man story I haven't read yet. This is so cool. Um, but yeah, it's something about when you have less everything seems to matter more. And then once you own more, it means a little less. Um, think about DVDs. The first time, the first few DVDs I ever purchased, I'm pretty sure were like the movie K-Packs, which I love. Uh, Memento, which I love. But uh, the way my memory went in the uh, late 2000s, early 10s, uh, a little, hit a little close to home. Uh, but I uh, love Memento, love like K-Packs. I think, uh, I think American Pie 2, I used to watch that all the time. Uh, Jay and and Bob Strike Back. Like those are like the first few DVDs I ever owned so I I watch them all the time because those are the only ones I own and when I wanted to watch something that's what I had Uh, it's interesting how those things stick out in your mind anyways this has been a little bit prattling about how memory works and I'm sure I'll talk about this again in the future because I have a bad memory and I often repeat myself but uh, thank you so much much for downloading this episode as I went down a memory lane to talk about What If 105 excited to have my uh, reprint of this signed by Ron and Tom don't care if it's not a signature on the original it's just cool to have their signatures on something that again and meant something to me when it came out um it was something that again i had an emotional impact and meant a lot to me as a younger as a younger reader so i'm very excited about that so thank you for listening to this episode you can uh email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com you can rate and review the episode on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on stitcher uh thanks again for listening and we will catch you next time Bye bye